Every month, we host the Midlife Crisis Cards Community Chat. And last night, uh, December 8th, we hosted the, uh, the Midlife Crisis Cards Community. And uh, we touched on a wide ranging topics, which we'll get into. And it was one, it, it was a good one, I have to say. It's a day after I've edited it. And uh, we touched upon a lot of fun stuff. Uh, everything from where to buy and sell online to uh, a cameo appearance by Adam Lefko, who came in and you know spent the whole night with us. And then we talked about some ideas for the 2021 NBA season. Um, and, and, and we talked about just a lot of things. It was fun. Um, and I welcome any and all of you to join us next time. I don't know the exact date in January that we'll be hosting our next one, but uh, all you need to do is join the Midlife Crisis Community, uh, Midlife Crisis Cards Community, um, and uh, you can do that by finding me on Instagram at Midlife Crisis Cards, um, going to the bio on Instagram, clicking the link in the bio, uh, and signing up for the community right there. Boom, easy, free, uh, and uh, we do these chats over Zoom. Um, again, once a month, uh, they usually last, I don't know, 100, 120 minutes, two hours. Uh, and so come for all, come for some. You can be talkative, you can be quiet. I don't know, last night we had close to 40 folks uh, on the Zoom, uh, which was uh, fantastic. So I hope you enjoy. This is the December 2020 Midlife Crisis Cards Community Chat. Thank you. Or any kind of cards. And uh, you know, the, the, the ground rules at all of these, and many of you have been to uh, uh, many of these before, is, you know, we're all here for sports cards. Please leave politics out of it. Be kind, be nice, be friendly. Um, if you don't agree with anything, it's okay. Uh, that's cool. Um, and it's okay not to agree, uh, but be kind about it and don't be an asshole about it. Um, so we kind of have like the no dicks rule. But other than that, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So when everyone uh, said that they were going to join um, on the form that you all filled out, you all put a whole bunch of topics on that form. And then hopefully a bunch of you graded those topics. Uh, and so what we're going to do tonight is we'll prioritize the topics that um, had lots of initials next to them. Um, Ryan, unfortunately, yours was last. So we're not going to get to that off the bat. Um, and uh, we'll prioritize those topics and we'll go through them. My job is not to answer every single one. My job purely tonight is to moderate. Um, and so I will, I don't have all the answers. We got a lot of people here that are a lot smarter than I am. Um, and uh, from all parts of, of the sports card world. So tonight, my job is to move us around and make sure we cover ground. So if I cut us off and move us to the next topic, that's, I'm just doing my job. So don't hate the messenger. Um, and uh in, in, in similar, we'll start with a show and tell. So hopefully you guys found something and we'll go through a handful of cards. Um, John, I'm going to make you show your Fleer wrapper. Um, I think that'll be the coolest thing. And you'll, you'll start with that in a second. But I do want to put three things. So this is new for this, for this one. I want to put three things that happened this week in the back of your heads as we get into the topics. Uh, these three things are one, which we can't ignore, and this will be a topic, is Collector's Universe and PSA uh, having uh, at least an offer to buy the company this week. Note to everybody, the deal is not done, but it's an offer to buy the company. Um, the second thing is for those that have any 1986 Michael Jordans, um, 
within the last 48 hours, the card set a record. Um, it, uh, Patrick Ryan sold for about $150,000. And just after that, the card, uh, sold, uh, uh, again for over that. And as of today, there's a third 1986 Jordan PSA 10 that has a bid at 162,000 and the auction closes on Saturday. Uh, and so that, so Patrick, you know, cashed out with 150. There's already now 162, and that auction's not over for another 96 hours or so. Um, to give you context on that, um, you all could have bought that card for $45,000 in March, uh, or you could have bought it for 87,000 in May, <laughs> or today you could buy it for, I don't know, 162, maybe 175. I don't know what it's going for. So put that all in context. Um, I can see Drake drooling and putting in the next bid for 175. Uh, and then the last, the third is um, today there is a, a fractional ownership uh, auction. Russell may cover this a little later, but this is awesome uh, reporting by Alton Insight. So Russell, I'm stealing your thunder. Um, but uh, there was a 1952 Mickey Mantle Bowman that was a fractional ownership IPO. Um, that was on Rally Road today. Um, it was a PSA eight. No, that um, was on collectible there. Oh, it was on collectible. All right. I read it wrong. It was on collectible. Um, it was a PSA eight. It was funded in three minutes um, it, for $15,000. Check me with 109 investors. So for those unfamiliar with fractional ownership, you can buy parts of a card. Um, and so 109 people spent a total of $15,000 or invested a total of uh, uh, $15,000. The interesting thing to me here is there's 114 of them. Uh, and so there's 114 known PSA eights, not saying what, how many, I don't know how many PSA nines or tens there are of that card. Someone probably knows. Um, but you know, $15,000 for something that is 114 of known that are graded out there. Uh, I, that, that's interesting. So I don't know. I'll start us off with that. Um, welcome everybody. We got a lot of new faces, a lot of existing faces. We don't do roll call, but um, you know, welcome everybody and be as participatory as you want, or just sit back and listen. Um, you know, feel free to chime in at any. We're going to dive into questions. So these were questions that were submitted by all of you. Um, I just prioritize them based upon how many votes they got. Um, I'll read the questions really fast. I'll also put them in the chat window. Um, actually, I will copy and paste them into there right now. Um, and so just so everyone has them and we will uh, get through all of them. So first question is, when investing in graded vintage cards of all time greats, is there a minimum grade to target for long-term investment purposes or is any, good, any grade good depending upon your budget? Uh, actually, I'm going to share the screen so you guys can read along too. Um, how does everyone that sells and collects uh, balance decide if a card should be listed right away versus held? Um, for example, mid to lower tier rookies, are there better to just hold all and hope some pan out? Or is it better to get some money back now and try and pick the right ones to hold? Um, three, where do people find they have the best success selling cards and buying cards and getting the best prices? It's tough to find boxes in stores, meaning most prices for buying are above retail. And when I'm selling, I'm never quite sure where to get 
where to price to get bites, but also get the most value I can. Analyzing the risk of transactions through social media and forums versus secure marketplaces, transactions like eBay. I wouldn't consider eBay overly secure, but we will talk about that. Any perspectives on keeping cards in a vault like PWCC or others uh, uh, versus keeping them at home or in your own safety deposit box? Uh, and how did the NFL card collecting season turn out for everyone, even though the NFL card collecting season is not over yet? So that's, uh, that's looks like the questions. Um, and uh, let's dive in. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen once I can organize it. Um, so the first one is when investing in graded vintage cards of all time greats, such as Russell, Wilt, Kareem, Jim Brown, et cetera, is there a minimum grade to target for long-term investment purposes or is any grade good depending on your budget? So curious to, to, uh, to get perspectives. Anyone want to dive in on that one? Yes. Go for it, Tom. I would say buy the best that you can afford just yep. so you're investing. Even it's going to be like a three, but then ultimately work your way to a five, six, seven. Yeah, I've definitely seen, you know, for myself at least, I, I have a PSA one <laughs> of of a Michael Jordan sticker, um, and because uh, at the time that's all I could have like that I was I was going to spend. Um, and uh, but actually, I've, I've I put that up on online just for people to see. I'm not selling it. Um, just just for you know folks to see. And a lot of people have reached out and they're like, we didn't even realize they do PSA ones, and that's actually kind of cool. Can we get that? Because the population's super low. Um, uh, but what I've seen folks do is exactly to Tom's point, which is, you know, buy the best you can at that time. And then ideally it's liquid. And then you can buy, you know, trade out your seven and go buy an eight or trade out your eight and go buy a 10 or, you know, over time. Um, but essentially, you know, it's been a similar strategy, which is, you know, as, as, as much as you can for that particular card, you know, buy what you can. And then if it's a long-term, you still like the player in the card, you know, up it over time if you want to. Um, well, so I was just having this conversation with my dad and I think the population thing is really important because some of these cards, like the, the difference between an eight and a nine grade may feel like a big leap, but if there's only so many cards that it doesn't really matter the same way, if there's a one of one, it doesn't matter what that grade is because it's one of one. So if there's a, even if it's a vintage card and you just see that there's a really low population, um, that four can end up being just as valuable as an eight of another card might be. You just got to find the right plays. Yeah. I mean, it seems like we define vintage. I think everybody's got their own definition of vintage, right? Like, you know, some of these newer collectors vintage may be like 2010, right? Um, but sometimes when I look at certain vintage plays like Jerry Rice, um, his 86 tops, or even the Walter Payton rookie, once you get outside of the nines or tens, those populations get pretty high. And so I wonder, you know, if you look at it and say, hey, you know, I, I've got 500 bucks to spend, you know, what I'd rather spend it on a um, I'm not sure the price is right now, but would I rather spend it on a PA, PSA 8 Jerry Rice or would I rather put that into a modern football play, you know, in a PSA 10? I think sometimes, just even personally, I think that's what I struggle with, um, even though it would seem Walter Payton's a safer play. But, um, 
yeah, it's tough when you look at the populations. I think the overall qualities of the card have a lot to do with it too. So my first Jordan rookie was a 3.5 BGS, but the centering on it was so good. And that's what I cared about. You know, like it was beat up and it had like a stain on the back, but like, but it was really well centered. And to me, like looking at the card, I wanted a really well centered Jordan. And so the grade number, you know, meant a lot less to me than the qualifications or the qualities of the card that you could see with your own eyes. So I think, you know, not all nines are created equal and not all sevens and sixes. Actually, as you go down the line, they're way, they're really not created equal at all on the lower grades. Because um, especially BGS, they, they only give you what is it one point over the lowest one that you got within the four. So um, there can be a lot wrong with them, a lot of different things. So I think the qualities is a big part of it, you know, and, and how you're picking it out too. So one thing that I was curious about, I guess, is related to the topic, but a lot of people say that SGC grades vintage tougher than modern. Do you guys still think that's true if a vintage card is in a newer SGC case versus an older SGC case? Do you place a premium on that? or? So as, as far as the first oh, question goes, investing in graded vintage cards I always or modern, I always say buy what you can afford, but also buy what you like. Too often people ask me on an almost daily basis, um, and these are usually investors, what can I buy? What should I buy? And I always start, I always tell them, buy what you know and buy what you like, because if God forbid it goes down in value, at least you still own what you know and what you like. Now, going back to Drake's question about SGC holders, old holders versus new holders, um, yeah, so SGC is obviously well known for the for the vintage cards. They grade a lot of T206 cards, Gaudi cards. Um, as far as the holders, I would not be concerned as far as uh, someone's, you know, is someone going to say you have uh, a, a lesser value card because it was graded in an older holder versus a new holder? I would not be concerned about that. But in Michael's world, he'd probably want you to get it graded at PSA because that's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Can I ask so, a question about vintage in general? Sure, Adam. Um, welcome. Hi. Appreciate you guys having me. Um, absolutely. One, I appreciate this because you guys know a lot more than I do. So I'm just listening. Um, I was so excited for this next season to be the 75th year of the NBA because I thought they were going to bring everybody out in the courts. And I thought, for the vintage market, you know, seeing Bill Russell and everybody walk out there and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there's something about going, oh man, they're there. And I was excited that, you know, does Dwayne Wade make the list? You know, like when we get that 75, like they put 50 guys out there. Yeah. And um, when, I, when I first got in, uh, I got in in March, uh, but one of the first ones I got that I felt really uncomfortable, I was able to get a bird magic Dr. J9. And for me, it was like, I looked at the pop reports and I saw where the drop-off happened, where like, sometimes it's like 10 and nine are very low and then eight's medium and then seven's really high. And I'm like, okay, I want to be on the other side of that. Like, that's how I usually, if I'm looking at pop reports. Um, but I was curious to everyone in here that has a lot of vintage, does vintage move a lot? And I know that the last year and a half is like hard to compare to anything else, but is vintage something that stays very stable or if 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in a movie that like, I don't, I, I'm just curious what people have seen with vintage cards and the way they change in the market. Who wants to jump? I would say vintage is more like an index fund to a certain extent. It doesn't move around that much, but it has been going up. Um, so you're not going to see Zion like pops or Lamar Jackson type, you know, drops like you do in vintage. The, the pop reports are interesting though, because one, there's not a lot more that are going to come back from PSA. I've got, I just picked up two 1970 tops basketball sets that are in great shape. And some of them are in PSA. Some already came back. There's not that many bad. I don't think still to be graded for these high-end um, sets uh, and high-end cards that are 40 to 60 years old. So what's in the pop report is probably not going to change that much. And they're a fraction of what the 2018, 2019 prisms are. So I, I find that I, they may not have the appeal to the young, uh, to, to the young collectors, but th there's a, there's a scarcity of supply for sure. What I love about the modern cards are they're starting to feature a lot of the, the, the vintage players. And so like you can pull open, you know, a mosaic pack today and pull out, you know, signed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or, you know, a Larry Bird or whatever. It's not so vintage, but, you know, Larry Bird or whatever. But, you know, that starts to build back into your, you know, 75th anniversary comment, which, you know, could this be the season where we start to see some movements there beyond just, you know, traditional, I don't know, Dave, like, would you say like somewhere one to 5% appreciation of the cards? Like, you know, could we see greater than 5% appreciation of the cards if the NBA starts to put, you know, some of these players onto the pedestal, um, you know, the season? I think that's interesting. I didn't even realize it was the 75th anniversary. That's um, what I mean. That's why I feel like it's taken the wind out of the sails because yeah. guess who's not going out into public? I remember the, the people 50th. that are 85 years old, they are not going to be in, an, in a stadium. Like it's the last place they're going to be. I remember the 50th anniversary and they're all wearing those leather jackets. They all got yes. like, they were I remember that like yesterday and I can't imagine. I mean, your point. Yeah. Those guys aren't leaving the house this year. Like they can't. Um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, then, and then you wonder too, like the average person knows who Wilt and Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, but that, but do they know who John Havlicek is and yes. you know, those guys and like an Elvin Hayes or Wes Unseld that are all time Moses greats. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I know who it's Moses Malone is because I thought I was collecting Carl Malone, but it ended up being Moses and I had the wrong cards. <laughs> anyway all right it could have been jeff malone it could have been worse <laughs> it could have been yep um all right so how does everyone that sells and collects balance deciding if a car should be listed right away versus held for example mid to lower tier rookies are they better to just hold all and hope some pan out or is it better to get some money back now and try to pick the right ones to hold so this is buying and selling strategies you know when you when you know when to hold versus buy um, I have an opinion, but I'd love someone to go first. Hold on to the mid Chris, go what for did it. You, what did you pay for it? You know, is it, did you get it out of a pack um, or did you buy it as a single? You know, I, I just went into a card shop last weekend and bought a bunch of stuff out of the like two to $5 box, just prism rookies and other random stuff, just playing a hunch and, then I got home and I kind of looked them all up 
a little bit and did a little bit deeper research and realized that I paid $2 for something that's going for 30 bucks right now. So it's like, sure, I'll take the $28 profit and put it back into sending some of the other cards off to get graded or whatever I want to do with the money. So for me, it really just depends on what price point you buy it at and what the current market value is. Uh, I think it's really difficult to try to pick the, the superstars, right? So for me, it's like a volume thing. Just buy everything and, and just, you know, what's the market doing, but buy it at a reasonable price. You know, you can't go out and buy 20 Zion Prism rookies, or at least the average person can't, but you can go pick through a dollar box and then just play the market when the market, try to time it as best you can. Yeah, I think that's important as far as what you paid. Um, that plays a lot into it as well. But I think the thing that I struggle with is after we saw the big spike in August, let's just take a lower tier Jason Tatum base prism PSA 10, right? You look at that and it's trading for about $50, but you saw back in August, it was a $1,200 card. And so you sit here and you look, you're like, well, you know, Trey Young is setting an all-time high. So what's to say that Jason Tatum can't be a $1,300 or $1,400 card in a couple weeks, right? So I think you kind of sit there and play the what-if game a lot um, as far as what you're going to do. But I guess my advice would be is, you know, if you've, if you've got another card you're after and you need that liquid cash to help you buy that card, say just take your profits now and then just move that into another card. What's the what's the quote from finance, which is bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered? And and so you know I can't tell you how often we hear that around the office. Um, and so you know if you're comfortable, you know people I, I've sold a card let's say for three hundred bucks with a nice healthy profit margin, but then the card's trading now at like seven hundred, and people are like, aren't you upset? And I'm like. I, I kind of made, you know, my fair share on that and I de-risked myself. Um, and, and so I think it's, you know, I think the answer to the question is heavily dependent upon your risk tolerance, which is, you know, right now cards are going up, up, up. At some point, they're not going to be going up, 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 up. That could be in a short time horizon, a medium time horizon, a long time horizon. We're not sure. Everyone has different perspectives on that. Um, but it depends on your risk. And and so, you know, if you can afford to do that and you're comfortable doing that, you're not going to shoot yourself in the foot. If the market crashes, then hold your cards. Um, you know, um, but you know, I think it can be a portfolio strategy and you sell some and you hold some. Um, and the ones that I tend to hold, you know, for my own are like guaranteed blue chip, (laughs) like, no, those are the players. Like I live in Boston now. Everyone's talking about Tatum, even though I'm wearing a Knicks you know, shirt, but everyone's talking about Tatum. I, that's a big bet. <laughs> that's a really big bet. Like, you know, I could put the same amount of money into LeBron and, and Kareem and Larry Legend and everybody else. And, you know, those are a little safer. Maybe they won't appreciate the way that Tatum was, but I, I mean, I don't know if Tatum's the next LeBron. So, um, you know, I, that's just my own tolerance, which is, you know, the, the big money stays in sort of guaranteed like hall of famers and then, or the hall of famers, frankly, that are underappreciated. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I have fun with the other, players, but, uh, they're more shorter term holds. Two quick things I'll say is, is one, I think it's important to have a profit goal or sometimes a loss goal, unfortunately. Um, but also I kind of view this market 
like I view the stock market, uh, a lot of times it's contrarian, right? So back in March, when everyone was jumping out the windows, that was the time to buy the stock market. Now in this market, Pokemon, when that Pokemon card sold for to, for $220,000 to, to the rapper Logic, that was the exact high in that Pokemon market. And now PSA has a million Pokemon cards to grade, right? So just because you see all the hype, instead of what you think might make sense, it could be the opposite to do. Well, and with that, I think it's it helps in terms of sports cards. I, I know a lot of people who actually like the cards but don't really follow the sports. But if there's a storyline and you can hop on that when the guys are as hot as they are, like there are the Tatums and you're buying them hoping more of a gamble, but there are guys like Randy Rosarena who gave one of the greatest postseason performances of all time and sees that huge spike in value. Like if you're following that, that's an easy way to jump in and see that like this might be the time to sell because it even if this guy continues to have a great career, it's going to be hard to match that value from when he's on the national stage playing the best he'll ever play. Yeah, it, 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 just in my opinion, I think Lucas kind of getting there too with some of his prices. I mean, what his select court side sold for a nine grand and you start thinking about it, it's like he, he hasn't really done anything yet. Um, you know, could he do that? And will he probably do it? Yeah, probably so. But, you know, would you rather have nine grand tied up into a LeBron or a Wilt or a Bill Russell or somebody like that? In my opinion yes. But, you know, it's, it's still, like I've said before, it's that what if game, you know, it's what if he goes on to win five titles and five MVPs and things like that, it could blow up. Right. Um, Jake, Jake, that's my question for you is, is like, I always think that in my head, like I'm about to liquidate a lot of my modern and I'm just, I'm very excited to sit down with, I really want to get a cigar and like map out where do I want to go? Like really set out my constitution of like what I want to get. Like that sounds fun to me, but I feel like in my head, I'd be like, just get Jordan and LeBron. And so that's my dilemma is if you like, I feel like it's always the smartest to go for them, but I don't know if that's going to be the most fun. And that's, that, that's where I'm trying to mitigate that risk. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the most fun, right? It's kind of a boring investment. You know, it's do you want the thing that's going to grow 3% every year, 5% every year, or do you want the thing that could pop 15%, you know? But then it's like the what if, if it pops 15% increase, or would you sell at that point? Or are you just going to keep hanging on saying, well, if it went up 15%, is it going to go up another 15%? And then I think that's those people that are, you know, at some point, as we've heard in podcasts and things like that, somebody's going to be left holding the bag. <laughs> and, you know, you definitely don't want to be that guy. Yeah, Adam, the, the way I kind of view it is like, uh, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. So I kind of view it like a portfolio where, you know, like if you think about your stock portfolio, like how much you want to be in stocks versus bonds. And then with stocks, like do you want to go crazy tech with like Palantir or do you want to do super safe like Coca-Cola? So I do a little bit of both, you know, like I'll, I'll get, I got the same cards that you got and yeah, it, it's really boring. Um, yeah. And then I'll focus on a couple of players where I think, yeah, it's fun to speculate. It's fun to follow the prices go all over the place. And um, yeah. So, you know, personally I'm like, yeah, Luca is really overvalued, but there are other players that I think are undervalued that I actually enjoy watching. 
So it's fun to speculate, but I think it just comes down to like your personal like risk tolerance and and what you want. Yeah, that's to do. the problem. I like to gamble, so I'm over here being. Yeah, me too. Like, this <laughs> Kevin Herter dude, he could be the next Clay Thompson. Yeah, I started yeah, yeah. getting crazy. It's <laughs> cheap to put some investment into that, though. I mean, Kevin's yeah. certainly not that expensive. The other thing too that I think is important not to forget is it's not just their stats. It's not just how they play. It's what they do off the court or off the field. I mean, even Kobe Bryant, like we go back to 2003, for those of you that went through that, I mean, there was a sexual assault case against him and his cards tanked. There were people I knew that refused to touch a card of his ever again at that point. I mean, and we think about him now and how his values are rising and how crazy it. Michael Vick. I mean, you look at these guys and the stuff that they do outside contributes. The opposite of that was OJ Simpson. <laughs> You know, where there was such great, you know, kind of personal interest in him that his cards, I remember when I was a kid that his cards started to pop up because of the court case and stuff. So, you know, it's not just how well they play and then placing the bet there. It's like, how good of a person am I investing in? Or are they going to get tempted by all the money? Are they going to change over time? You know, kind of is the, the X factor there too. Something I've been also thinking about is just like an alternative form of speculation where it's less player dependent is like set speculation, right? So like you see the commons from 86 Fleer, uh, especially some of the ones that were in weird places on the sheet, um, sell at a real premium for a, for a 10. And what are some of the others? Like is 93, 94 finest basketball refractors? Like, is that something you could mess around and speculate on a little bit? Like, I think that's a different way to attack it where um, hobby knowledge is going to trump your sports knowledge on that. And it's, it's just an alternative um, gamble, but kind of fun too. I love building sets. So that, that's just, I think that, and that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of in the same mindset about music as I am about collecting cards that, you know, artists kind of, they, when they make a, a CD or a record or an album, whatever you want to call it, they put a lot of thought into everything from start to finish. And I worked in the music industry for a few years and it just, it, it just drives me nuts now that it's, everything's a single, you know, and that you, you just you hear one song from an artist, you have no idea that they, they wrote another 11 that went on to that. And in a lot of cases, I feel like that's the way with the designers of these cards. They made some beautiful sets. Sometimes it's really meaningful who they pick to put in an insert set. And yet it's just the LeBron that sells. And then everybody else is kind of like, eh. <laughs> so uh, I love making the sets. And you get small wins, you know, when you're, when you're building them out. So, yeah. Is set collecting as popular as it was or no? Because everything right now is about the single. I, I don't think it is. I, there's a few people that do it. I've been doing this set. This is the uh, the Hot Shots um, out of Flair, which was a beautiful super cool. die cut, you know, like just awesome looking card. Um, but it's, yeah. I, no, I don't hear too many people. I, I hear hobbyists more so than investors doing it with the exception of like an 86 Fleer set or even as you talked about earlier, the um, EX sets. I've seen people doing that now. Because you know, just they're they're gorgeous. One of the coolest things that I saw of the hobby and the internet come together a couple of weeks ago with with you was you posted one of your sets that you're finishing, and you had like three or four missing cards, 
And within a week, you sent me a picture of four different people sent you those. Oh my missing God. Cards yeah. They're here. Like so for your some set. of the ones that people were sending me off of, and I'm not, I'm actually wasn't three or four. I'm 55 cards away. Darren, that set is oh. gigantic. It's 110 card set. Um, they have like so many variations of these, but, but exactly the community aspect of it was awesome. Cause it was like, I posted this thing. I'm like someone, cause I posted one card and then everyone was like, Oh, can we see the whole set? Like that you've made so far. So I, I had to find a table big enough to put 55 cards out <laughs> so you could see them all at once. And I took a picture of them and then people started messaging me. Oh, I've got one that's not in there. Do you need it? I'm like, yeah, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> so getting that much closer. But uh, yeah, oh, I love that can part. I, of it. Can I ask a question as someone who's never made a set in their life? Um, what is the moment? Is it like putting the last piece into a puzzle? Like yes. if it arrives in a mail day, do you like unplug the phone? Like, what is that? I don't know. I'll never know what that, I, the odds of me making a set are very low. Yeah, it totally feels that way. I mean, it's just, and then you're onto the next set, which is a sad mm -hmm. truth, but that's the way mail days are in general, even with single cards. So it's you like go winning one a Super Bowl in Madden where yeah. there's like virtual yeah. confetti. And then it's like, would you like to start the next season? And right, like, exactly. Yeah. Right. That's what it's, that's okay. what it feels like, but it is, it's amazing. And um yeah and it's a chase and it's cool because you're chasing again some cards that are like not necessarily players that you know you would have collected otherwise or that other people are collecting which actually makes them harder to find you know because they're not like the the random guy that you know was on that team like a, the vin baker is missing from the set it's like oh man i don't know too many people that collect him anymore you know like so uh it is exciting um yeah, I no, I I love that aspect still. And again, like seeing the whole thing together, it's really amazing to see even just the the differences in the designs within the cards, like the photos that they chose or the effects they put in the background. When you actually see it all done, it's like, oh wow, you know, this is this is something else. That's dope. So speaking of finding cards, so where do people find that they have the best success selling and buying cards? and getting the best prices. It's tough to find boxes in stores, meaning most prices for buying are above retail. And when I'm selling, I'm never quite sure where to price to get bites, but also to get the most value I can. I am gonna share something with all of you, which is this data um, that you all submitted. So you can see my screen. Here is what you all submitted. What platforms do you buy and sell on? So eBay, 94% uh, of the folks that filled this out. Facebook, Instagram, Loop. Look at the love for Loop. Um, Twitter, and then kind of everything else. Um, Starstock actually has moved up over the time. Nice seeing Otis and Rally, Macari, ComC. Blowout forums, I'm actually surprised. Let's talk about that. Um, Discord is up there my slabs sort of gaining in Craigslist. Um, so that's an interesting uh, data set, but let's all talk about this. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Hopefully, Evan, we see dibs up there, you know, in, in the new year. Yeah, man. It's a little, little bit of a different play, but I guess you had uh, you had Otis and Rally on there as well. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, we, we go through a little bit of a different, <laughs> we have a different beast in terms of buying. We're trying to get, you know, a lot in, in one fellow swoop. So I mean, eBay is right. I, I just to be honest, I mean, that's where I get almost everything. PWCC and eBay for the large part. Yep. I've actually found for cards that like, so I pretty much only buy singles. Um, and 
I look for very specific players and my, my sort of, if I can't find what I want on like eBay or my slabs or wherever, I actually go to Macari. Um, and Macari is super hit or miss. Um, it's kind of like the internet junkyard, but they got like everything. And I've met a bunch of buyer uh, sellers on Macari that know what I'm looking for. And they kind of like ping me when they, Hey, got a new Deandre Jordan, or we got, you know, or Deandre Ayton rather. Um, and, or, you know, we've got a Jason Tatum and they know when to ping me. I found Macari to be super useful and actually very fair priced, um, for the most part. Um, the other one I like is my slabs. Um, and I know Scott is on here too. He likes it too. Um, but I like it, you know, from a selling perspective, it's a 1% sell fee, but as a buyer, I like it cause I don't have to worry about shipping cause whatever the final price is shipping is included in that. Um, uh, and more recently I've had some pretty great success on com C. Um, I find that more people have been listing on com C, uh, and they don't change their prices. Um, and so the issue with com C is like you set your price once, but unless you like change it, um, you know, it's set at what it was and, you know, the card will clear. So you can find, so if you work hard enough, you can find, uh, opportunities on com C, which is comc.com, um, or check out my collectibles, um, where, you know, someone listed a card probably six months ago at some price, uh, but forgot to change the price or just has left it alone. And you could easily just, you know, go get it for potentially under market. You have to dig around enough, but you know, it's something that you could, you could do on the platform. And I found actually more recently I had a Christoph's Porzingis uh, tie dye card that I was able to get at like last year's prices where he wasn't, you know, the, you know, the focus and, um, you know, probably, you know, good 40% under what market was today. Um, and so there's some opportunities there. I don't know also if any a great I'm, place to make sets. That's one of the greatest places to find the cards you're missing in sets as well. Just a, <laughs> it's a big one. I'm surprised to see blowout forums so low. Um, just, you know, that, that was like the place. Um, and there are a lot of us in blowout forums. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm curious, uh, on what everyone does. Where does everyone go? Darren, where did StockX rank on there? Sorry if I'm just blanking. StockX was wasn't on. It wasn't even a write-in. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, like I've gone through that that process a few times. I, it's not horrendous. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just, it isn't purpose-built for that. Um, anyways, I, I don't want to distract from this. I would like to hear this as well. StockX is funny because it's the opposite of what Darren said, where I've offered bids on like boxes of wax and like randomly got an email like 90 days later where it's like, congratulations, you just got a 2014 tops Chrome. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it was somebody just got desperate and took the bid. And so that it was like the opposite of Darren, of Darren's com C story. Right. Well, I'm trying to have trouble with the mute thing, but there you go. Now we can all hear you. And not so good experience on eBay. I'm only going to try the other forms too. I've had some success on Facebook. Drake, you've been all over Facebook. Is that successful yeah. for you? Yeah. So for me, I think that Facebook's been good for me for selling. There's been a few examples. It's kind of interesting. You know, they you go in groups and they'll say, you know, it's goods and services only and things like that. I actually had a pretty good sale last weekend where the guy sent me a price and he's like, is Venmo okay? And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's okay. You know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Right. Um, but sometimes Facebook, I think can be a little difficult because 
you'll get the sellers in there that, you know, say a card is selling for, we'll just use a thousand dollars or not nice round number on eBay. And somebody goes in there and they're like, they want to sell it for a thousand fifty. And you say, Hey, it's, it's only selling for a thousand on eBay. And they say, but I'm saving you sales tax. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true, but I'm also saving you a seller's fee. So can we meet at a lower price than the last eBay comp? Right. And then they're like, no, I think I'll just hang on to it. And so, you know, sometimes you get those sellers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get those sellers that are kind of a pain in the butt. So it's kind of a, it's, there's been some frustrations, but there's also been some good things too, but um, yeah. I'm curious where people are finding not individual cards, but do you ever find boxes that are reasonably priced at this point? Because like, as I'm sure we're all familiar, if you like go to, or at least near me, if you go to the the targets or the Walmarts or wherever, where I used to just kind of like walk in, grab a box and go have fun at home. Like now people go in and grab 30 of them and walk out and sell them for $50 more. There's a, um, I'm in this Facebook group. I don't know how legal this is. So maybe I'm blowing its spot. And so I'm not going to name the group, but feel free to ping me after. But somehow one of the guys is a distributor uh, hookup. And every day or every couple of days, he posts a PDF with box prices. Um, and they're not insanely better than you know, the open market, but they are less. And you basically go through this guy, you PayPal him, and within a, a handful of days, you get the box or wax. I haven't done it, but there's a pretty good following within this group. He seems to be legit. Uh, and this PDF comes out, you know, almost daily with the day's prices. Uh, and, and he covers like all the major sports and he's got some uh, memorabilia. Um, so I don't, I don't know if he's allowed to do that. I can't imagine he is. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, fe- I've seen some good stuff there. Um, what he's doing. Yeah, the one thing I'll say to that too, David, if you know, you're interested, say Prism Football, right? That just came out. Everything's hot. You can't find it anywhere, retail, hobby, anything like that. But I imagine if you wait till like January, February, once football calms, calms down, you should be able to find that you know, at a reasonable price. Then you can pick up some of those guys, say like a Joe Burrow who got hurt. And you know, if you want to get it graded, get it graded on a 45-day and you got it ready to roll for next season. So. Yeah, Darren, I, I actually went to a hobby store just randomly down, like, not that close to my house, but, like, close enough. And we found Panini Prism Hobby Boxes 2019, the basketball ones. And they're only a, they were only a few hundred bucks. And I was like, you've got to be joking me. So we, clean, we cleaned them out. Uh, yeah, I've got, a few in the, I've got a few in the house right now. We're trying to figure out, like, what to do with them because we don't really, like, at this moment, we're not selling wax. But I'm like, man, I, I just, like, keep staring at them all day wanting to rip them open. And they're a prime oh, by the promo items, Evan. You got a new promotion <laughs> hey, right there. Yeah, yeah promotion. I think it is going to be a promo thing. I think we'll just rip open and just give them away. To give you context, I walked into my local hobby shop last weekend, and he did have a prison, a couple of prison boxes, and they were no less than $745 a box. Oh, yeah. No, this was a few hundred. I mean, I think we paid like $375 um, each, and we just like said everything you got. Uh, but he's like a comic book dude too. And I just wonder if he just has no idea, you know, what the going rate is on the secondary market, but yeah, it was interesting to see. I'm happy to take an order. If next time you go, 
if you want to take orders for all of us, we're, we'll all yeah. <laughs> well, and then I was, yeah, and then I went over to Cards and Coffee, which is like, you know, it's not even a knock on Cards and Coffee. They're great, great dudes and, and the whole bit. But like, I think there was over a thousand there. So, I mean, just to juxtapose that, not even 15 minutes away from each other and you get a $700 price delta almost. Yeah, I think there's a decent amount of that in the local card shop, um, just, you know, universe, because it, I'm more on singles from my perspective, but I've walked into to a couple of shops and people are just way off market. And I think depending on how big the shop is and how many cards and inventory they have, I think it's just impossible for them to keep up with, with everything because the market's so dynamic right now. So there's definitely a, a lot to be gained by buying in person still, um, especially like you said, like a more of a comic book setup or depending on the, the kind of nature of the card shop, there's, there's some deals to be had out there for sure. Agreed. Anyone else have? Too, I was going to say, it depends too on how the individual store treats it. If they're looking at it, kind of what we talked about in the very beginning of this, is it like, I think Michael was saying, like, is there a certain amount you want to make on something that you bought? So taking into consideration what they paid and then what they want to make. My local card store here, they just look at all of the Dave and Adams and the, like, they compare it to those and then they want to set themselves a little bit below what the market is doing. So they will change their prices hourly on boxes of cards. And it is, you, you could be in the store. I don't, I don't buy any wax at this point, but you can be in the store and see someone that's given one price one minute and then 10 minutes later, like, oh, sorry, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> and it's like, but you're a retailer, you know? So it depends what they're trying to do. Are they looking at what they paid and what they want to make off it? Or are they looking at replacement cost, which is their argument that now it's going to cost them more to replace it because the market has shifted. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about it from those two lenses. I guess I'm just like constantly like, oh, well, what's it worth on eBay, right? And like, that's what I'll sell it for. But yeah, it makes sense. I mean, some of these guys don't, they're not in this the same way everybody on this call is, right? They're, they don't care, right? They made 75, 80 bucks and like they cleaned out and they're fine. Darren, I, mean, how do you... I think the best way to do it is to uh, one of us becomes a distributor and then we all chip Damn. in. I actually looked into this, like you can become a distributor by being a breaker and all you really need is a website. It's like either you need a retail physical location, which is why I think Cards and Coffee has one. And then, or you could be a like breaker and they, they just need to check that you have a website that you do them. You could literally just do like one a month. They don't even have, and Michael, by the way, I don't even think they actually have a, um, a retail license like to sell wax, right? Like to sell really? Yeah. So like, cause why, I, why theirs are so expensive. Oh, it's also an instant gratification where you could just like ping them on Instagram and they'll open the box like right then. Well, that's their whole thing, right? It's like, how do you, do you live in LA, Michael? No, no. I was about to say like their, their spots cool and you can go in there and like, they just rip them open and they'll have like random celebrities like come in. It's kind of like, it's, it's very LA. Um, it's, it's what you'd hope. Um, but yeah, I don't think they have the license to do that yet. Wow. And, so I, maybe that justifies the increased price, but even the card individual card sales, like I saw kids in there buying stuff and I was just like, Oh man, like, all right, well, go for it, kid. Like all I, the, um, the guy tweeted out this week that they just broke a million in sales, like within eight weeks or 12 weeks or something of opening, which is kind of crazy. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they got a little, little thing going there. 
I had a Mike? question for Darren and people talking about, like you were talking about all the different websites like eBay and Mercari and all that. You, you're a lot more organized than me. Mine usually are like, oh, I got eBay search email in the morning. And then like in the middle of the day, I think about cards and I go into a 45 minute wormhole. But like, do you have certain places that you check every morning? Like, how do you sweep? How do you get your intel on a daily basis to, to evaluate the market and look for certain cards that you might be looking for? So Darren's the guy here. Yeah, I feel like you. Well, have I know exactly down. what Darren does, by the way, and it's it's very nice. It's actually it, he makes it. He plays it down, but it's good. Uh, so deadly. <laughs> um, so what I what I do is so it's not daily, and um, you know it's not as as religious as some other folks. Um, but I'm a big fan of data, um, and so I buy and license a ton of APIs. Uh, myself. Uh, and then I put a, uh, a basically a BI layer or visualization layer on top of the market, essentially. And so for my existing collection, uh, as well as for players that I'm tracking, I see in the morning or anytime during the day, ups and downs and the volatility of each of the players. And then I have a heat map that shows who's hot and who's not based upon some time horizon. Um, and so the time horizon can be by the day. That, that's not really useful. It could be seven days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Um, and then what's also very important there is sales velocity and bid density. And bid density is super important because players that are getting lots of bids versus players that are not getting lots of bids. Um, and so if you see folks getting lots of bids, it's kind of like a stock with lots of buyers. Um, there's a lot of interest. Um, you know, if you see a player not getting a lot of bids, um, means there's less people at the party, uh, and there's probably opportunities there. Uh, and where there's less bids, you try, you see that across multiple platforms and that gets really interesting because then you can fi probably find some volatility in pricing. Um, meaning on eBay, it may be listed at $59.99, uh, but on Mercari, you may see it for $22.99. And that could be an opportunity because there's less demand in the market. So I look at that. Um, I'm kind of, I, I had to build that myself. I personally didn't build it. I had someone build it for me, um, but I, I like that. Uh, and that then sort of focused me where to, to look. Um, but again, I'm not buying necessarily just to, uh, you know, speculate. I do have some of that, um, but I'm buying, you know, as a collector and there's certain cards and, 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 and brands of cards that I like. Uh, and so that helps me sort of look in those directions. Um, so hopefully that's a long winded answer. I'm happy to show it to anyone who wants to, if, if they're really interested, I'm happy to walk maps. you through that. <laughs> I love Green chair. Oh gosh. Dude, Darren, Darren's Next time. On this man. You start a little small business with just that little, uh, with that nope. thing you built off any day. No. Um, I bought a Zach Levine, I don't know, autograph card. Wasn't necessarily super expensive, but I'm speculating a little bit on Zach Levine. Um, and I didn't look at who I was buying it from because it was a low, and if I, you know, whatever, the transaction value is less than $30. Um, but I got an email. It turns out I, I won the auction. I got an email last night um, from this person who I won the auction from. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, can you submit payment? 
Um, and I'm always good at paying and I already paid. So that was a flag. I'm like, I already paid. You should see that in your, you know, in, in eBay. I didn't say it that way, but, uh, and then this morning when I was in the gym, I got another message from this gentleman or, uh, saying, how do, where do I find your address to sell you, to, to mail you the card? Um, and I thought like immediately this is not going the right path. And I got like, you know, buyers sort of super wet feet and I'm like, you know, this is, this is super risky. Then I looked at their feedback rating and it was like negative one. Um, and, uh, and so I actually, I pulled my transaction, um, from PayPal. Um, and so I requested the money back basketball card guy staring at me. He's like, you're a bad dude. Um, and, uh, and so I pulled the transaction from PayPal and I emailed the person. I'm like, you know, here's how you do it. But I feel like I was like, honest, I'm having like super cold feet. I don't believe this card's ever going to get to me, but here's what you do on, on eBay. This is where to look. Um, and, uh, and, but you know, good luck and, you know, um, you know, it's gone our merry way. So eBay scares me sometimes. That was really one of the, you know, I've had a few bad transactions. Um, I've shown Adam some of these cards, you know, I've got a, a, a box right here um, of fake cards I've ended up buying um, and paying real prices for fake cards, um, including a 19, there's an 86. Um, uh, but the funny thing is Giannis never played in 1986. Um, and, uh, and, and so um, I've got plenty of fake cards. Um, and so eBay scares me, even though there are lots of checks and balances on eBay, you know, and I think I'm a decent buyer. I've still gotten scammed out of stuff. Now, luckily eBay has sided on my side. They're very, very seller, I mean, buyer friendly. Um, but being super buyer friendly on eBay also hurts that too. Like I've heard stories and I'm going to stop my monologue in a second, but I've heard people, you know, buying cards on eBay with the hope that over 30 or 60 days, the card goes up in value. They list the card uh, if they don't get an auction that closes above the buy price, those people just return the card back to the original seller and get their money back. Um, and so, and eBay will completely oblige with that. I can't imagine if you do it 50 times, eBay will continue to allow it, but that happens. And so, you know, eBay is great for the buyer, but sellers are getting increasingly frustrated with selling on eBay and the amount of returns that they get for any, any random reason. Um, so- just tossing that out there. Anyone have any war stories or any, any ideas of, you know, how do you, how do you think about risky, the risk of transactions? You know, I see Drake selling on Facebook and he's asking for vouchers. Um, you know, how does that whole system work? I have one playing down in real time right now. Someone just texted me saying that someone's selling one of my cards claiming it's theirs, but my, so my logo was on one of the photos and so it was pretty obvious. And then some people make the lame thing. This happened a few times before. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I bought it from him. And I've been too lazy to take my own picture. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. you. Yeah, sure. So that's what some people do. They call it coining it, where they put their they put it next to a coin or they put it next to their their own name and the date. So that's a way to prove that you have the card, um, you know, to, to avoid the risk there. But I've had people on eBay that have stolen my photos and posted a bunch of cards at once and I had to report them and, you know, I had to tell people I don't sell on eBay. So, like, if you ever see my logo on a card picture, like, realize it's not me, you know. Um, so th there are definitely risks there.
How do you, so a lot of sales go down on Facebook and Instagram and discord and stuff like that. How do folks, you know, make sure, you know, you know, you're PayPaling or Venmoing or cash apping money across to someone who you've never met before and probably don't even know where they live. How would you, like, how do you, how do you feel safe doing that? Like, do you get vouches or, you know, do you know the people or, you know, how does it all work? I always do goods and services if I'm buying from somebody for the first time um, because PayPal has the same kind of protections that eBay does and those things. So if something went south and never arrived, they never shipped something, um, you can go through the process there and get the money back. Um, I've found that if someone's trying to scam you and you say, I'm going to pay you in goods and services, they, they're they like, uh, 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 and just kind of lock up and, and kind of run up here the transaction because they want you to send friends and family. Yeah, the one thing that's worked, that's worked for me very well is if I'm going to buy anything from anybody, I always try to at least develop some sort of relationship. You know, like I was working on something yesterday and I got to talking to a guy and he was in Louisiana and, you know, we started talking about the saints and family and kids and things like that. And so, you know, I think if you can get someone to make something, I guess, uh, less transactional and more relationship based where they actually want to, you know, talk to you about things besides just money, right? Um, You know that they're in it for the right reasons and they're not just someone trying to make a buck off you. Russell, what are you doing these days? How do you how do you feel safe buying stuff online? I've done a mix of all of all of these things that people are, are mentioning. Um, I haven't honestly had bad experiences. I have had like sketchy close calls where I did have to cancel the order, similar to you how you had to do that. Um, but like eBay and PayPal are pretty on, on the ball when it comes to this stuff. Like I got zero pushback. Um, canceling what you know what i thought might be fraudulent um the goods and services thing on paypal is a great way to avoid that if you do buy on facebook or or any um like non-ebay platform where uh, like instagram for example the goods and services is perfect if you're buying from someone on instagram you know that it's legit you know that you can get your money back it just lowers your risk tremendously so I would suggest um, ne- never send without goods and services if, if you're dealing with someone you haven't dealt with before on Instagram. I'll say that. Does anyone yeah. a seller and and uh, ever get concerned about selling on eBay? Like taking the other perspective instead of being a buyer, being a seller. Yeah, I yeah, just man. I just got approved to sell on my slabs because that guy means some serious business and he doesn't play around with all that return stuff. So I was, you know, I've got, I'm expecting a lot of cards back from PSA and I'm like, I'm going to list them all on there and none on eBay. Yeah. I was just going to say, I get concerned about the returns on eBay. Just haven't heard other horror stories. And I sold a Erling Holland uh, top finest rookie card like a week before he um, like hurt his hamstring. And I'm just kind of like nervously waiting for maybe that person to um, start a return. Cause obviously his card prices have taken a little hit um, because he got injured since I sold that, um, which, you know, that's not really how this is supposed to work. <laughs> I, I actually, so before Kenny leaves, I, I took one of his Mario Lemieux rookie cards and I sold it on eBay. Uh, didn't ask him, but I did it and I took, kept the money. Um, but you know, my concern is, you know, Jake, to your point, which is, you know, 60 days, 90 days down the 
you know, let's say, you know, Jake, you bought that Lemieux, you know, 90 days from now, I've already, you know, I've gotten your money. I probably went and I bought something else. Maybe I bought, you know, a Zion or whatever, you know, and you were, and you returned the card and, you know, that $1,300 or whatever, you know, I've spent. Um, and so how can I come up, you know, you know, how can I come up with that $1,300 or whatever the amount is to refund you your money if I've then, you know, gone and bought other stuff. And so, you know, that means I have to liquidate some of the stuff that I've bought or, you know, go find money and take money elsewhere. And so that's the issue with eBay. I, I, I see, you know, which is, especially if you get into the bigger ticket stuff, you know, the five, six figures, you know, that you, you got to be careful on, on that. Um, uh, sorry, Kenny, by the way. Is any, does anybody know if eBay is aware of how, I guess, important it is as a platform to this particular marketplace? I mean, I see that they market the, like two sports card stuff, you know, they're, they're sponsoring podcasts and whatnot, but do they understand that this is going on and just not care or what's there's the, new, there? I mean, there's new, there's new, new teams there. Um, if you watch the other category, very similar to this, which is the sneaker category, uh, on eBay, um, they just put in verification services for sneakers, which is one of the first categories where they've actually gone deeper than just allowing auctions. Um, and so they're starting to put services around sneakers. And I do know that sneakers and sports cards at eBay are grouped together. Um, and so the teams that are thinking about those, uh, you know, the thing about sneakers, the thing about sports cards. And just because of the popularity of sports cards and the amount of traffic that has gone to eBay from the sports card boom, they got like a lot of eyes on the sports card space. And they do know that they have uh, some issues, uh, at least from folks like us, from these kinds of talks. Um, so they are trying to think about, you know, how to fix that. But, you know, uh, Jay, uh, someone, I think maybe, I forgot who it was, maybe even you, Chris. Uh, yeah, it was you, Chris. Um, you mentioned my slabs. So my slabs takes the complete opposite perspective um, of, of eBay, which is, you know, rather than siding with the buyer, we side with the seller. We protect the seller. Um, and oh, by the way, we only take 1% fee. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's super interesting to see, you know, these two completely different models. And there's a whole bunch of new platforms coming out that probably are closer to my slabs than to eBay um, that, uh, you know, protect the seller because of a lot of these issues. Um, so that's, that's that. I mean, when I started using eBay back in 1998 uh, for this stuff, it was seen as a wholesaler. Like everyone, all, all the card guys like referred to it as a wholesaler you got stuff for half price, like that was it. And so you took the risk when you bought stuff, you knew it wasn't going to be perfect. Like that was kind of the attitude at the beginning. It morphed over time. And obviously as more cards got graded and things like that too, but like, but that was the way it was in the beginning. And I think it's more appropriate for that. If you look at it in the lens of like, oh yeah, I could buy a $20 card on there and yeah, it might be bent a little bit and I'll be okay with it because, you know, it was only 20 bucks or five bucks or whatever. It's a very different story than, oh, <laughs> spending 180,000 on something today. Like totally different story now than it was years ago. Yeah. So I, they haven't updated as far as I can see anything that they do differently than they did in 
1998 for they kind of operate the same way overall, even though everything has changed in terms of our market. Yeah. First things they've done, at least I've seen is, is the sneakers. And hopefully that flows into uh, the sports card space, but just okay. looking conscious of time. Oh, um, go ahead. Let me, let me throw out one general question, which is to the go group. Scott. How do people feel about buying from international sellers on eBay? Cause I've had, I think I've had mixed results. For sure. I mean, one guy bought it from, never shipped it, didn't have the money to make the return, took me three months. eBay had to, you know, give me back the $700 or so, whatever the card was. You know, the guy's like, oh, I'm going to get paid next week, blah, 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 in Indonesia, wherever he was. So I'm now out of the international game. But do you guys, have you guys had similar feelings about it or? Are you good it, on this? It? This box went from China to my door within a week, and <laughs> I didn't pay scary. any crazy shipping. Uh, and I've I've actually found there's a fair amount of sports cards listed from Australia um, on eBay. The only problem with that is they have like fifteen dollars shipping <laughs> fees, um, and and which I understand, I get it. Um, but the card asks, you know, you can't buy a ten dollar card and pay fifteen dollars shipping. Um, and so, I mean, you can, but uh, so. I've actually been okay with it as long as the, the seller has good feedback and monetarily the shipping prices, um, you know, make sense um, to the card value. So I actually, I, I like soccer uh, and been collecting soccer and um, those that know soccer, Serginio Dest on the US um, started picking up a couple of his uh, and I bought one from a guy over in Portugal and about a week and a half after I bought the thing, a literal letter hand addressed to me showed up with a return address from Portugal. And the dude sent me the card between two pieces of cardboard all the way from Portugal. So I, I got a kick out of that because uh, it came fine condition, everything else, but um, just a normal letter. I don't know if you guys saw the chat window, but Greg put a pretty damn good statistic there. Which is eBay. Well, I think I'm the only person here who used to run the sports card category for eBay. Well, um, you're supposed to chime in, Greg. That's, you know, <laughs> that was like 15 years ago. And you're so supposed I to would, chime in, Greg. I think it's amazing. It's the only category they haven't fucked up. And so um, the guy who runs eBay now used to run the collectibles category for eBay, Jamie Iommi. So they've now probably hired more people against that team than they've ever had before. So it's just the platform's really old. And so but the velocity of trading on eBay right now is crazy. And the thing that you think you forget is the buyers. I mean, if the, there's probably tens of millions of excess shipping charges that sellers are charging to buyers right now. And the sellers never talk about that, but buyers get fucked every time they place an order because of shipping costs. And it's kind of just one of those things that it kind of balances itself out, but eBay is always going to side on the buyers, especially in a market like this. Um, and so, and it's very difficult to get scale and that's why sellers keep selling here because that's where the buyers are. And so it's eyeballs, yeah, just kind of an interesting trade-off, but it's, it's kind of, this is the, this is their fastest growing category and it's the velocity of trade. They make a lot of money in this category from hey, sponsoring. Yeah. What, where does it like, you know, relatively speaking, right? If you're going to stack rank eBay's categories and, and I've done a bunch of research on this, but I, I wanted to know if you had a general honest sense on where 
collectible cards and trading cards, right? Sports cards, even if we just want to do that, where it stack ranks in categories for eBay, like, is it a top 10? Is it a top three? Is it a top five? Like even just holistically like that would be, would yeah. be interesting. my sense from a GMV, it's very big, but from a listings perspective, it's probably the biggest. If you, depends how you break it out, right? Just because a lot of the listings are $2 listings they don't sell, but they get paid on almost every one of those. For those that aren't Greg, I will translate GMV and marketplace talk is gross merchandise value. Sorry. Um, and so if you add up all the transactions, that's the value of all the transactions for that category. So the effective take rate, so the average amount of money that eBay takes per order is highest in that category because the average order value is the lowest. Um, so they like it because it's just a lot of velocity. Um, and a lot of crap. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> right? what, what, what shocks me about eBay is they allow to, like these designer cards or these like, you know, these look so real but are so fake cards um, that so many people buy because they think they're buying a real card and uh, they're, they're completely fake. Um, and, and even this comes out to like real life. Like I think I was talking to someone about this recently. I was with my son up in, I don't know, Newbury. Yeah, that was me. And, you were telling me that you were the moral compass of the hobby. <laughs> I was up. Like, in, yes, that was a great you story. Um, but I was up in Newburyport at a, at a collectible shop and um, my, I was with my son and we, uh, we were looking at one of the cases, you know, for single cards. And at the top of the case was a whole bunch of like Patrick Mahomes and Jason Tatum's and a bunch of other singles. And I saw this Patrick Mahomes that I wanted. Uh, and so I asked for that. And my son was like, Hey dad, can I get a card? And I was like, absolutely. And, and, but not that one. Uh, and, uh, and so he, he, he liked, I forgot what it was. I don't remember which one it was, but it let's just call it a Tatum. Um, and so he asked, and I was like, David, why don't you ask to see the card? And so the woman takes it out of the case and gives it to him. And he's looking at it. He's like, dad, like, look over here. And he's like, this isn't tops. This isn't Panini. This isn't upper deck. This isn't leaf. This is like something.com. And it had the rated rookie design that you usually see on like the optic or Donruss cards or the optic cards. And it, from the front, it looked almost identical to, you know, one of, you know, a card we'd all recognize, but the minute you look at the back, it didn't have it there, but it was priced just like all the other Tatums in the case. And, uh, and so I was like, I looked at my son and I was like, mm -mm. and so he was actually really good. He was like, totally, he got it. Uh, and, uh, and I looked at the, and I was like, okay, I'll just take, you know, this one card. And, and then, so I paid for that one card. So, cause I wanted it and I knew it was underpriced. And, and, and then I looked at the woman, I was like, so do you normally sell these cards? Like in this case? And, and she looked at me and, and my son was like, the card's not real. And, and the woman looked at us and, and, and I was like, you've got no less than six or seven of these sprinkled throughout this top shelf with all these other real cards. And you're pricing them exactly as the price of what they would normally be at, on a major brand. And she kind of looked at us and, and, and she's like, kind of like, get out of my store. And, and we like looked at her and as we walked out, I looked at my son, I was like, you know, it's a good thing we said something because we, you know, we may not have changed her, but at least we called her out on it. Um, and she was, you know, these cards cost less than 10 cents to make they're fake. And she's selling them for like 35, 40 bucks each. It's kind of crazy. And that happens all the time on eBay. Nuts. 
And because of your son, she's in jail now. Great no. job. She's not in jail. She's minting, you know, selling thousands of those Actually, cars on Darren, eBay. You're right. She's not in jail. She's right here. Everybody, please welcome <laughs> Beth from a local card shop. My Maybe. mother. I heard that story and it cracked me up because I would have been like, man, some idiot's going to fall for that. And Darren's like, excuse me, miss. You need to answer this. Right. I loved it. I, that was the best. It's crazy. Like, I don't want some kids going in there and buying that card thinking they, you know, they got an amazing card and you know they paid 35 dollars of hard-earned money and then all of a sudden realized they got nothing like that's not totally. cool that's i want to cool. say steve aoki did it he posted about it on instagram like obviously he's new to the hobby and right. i think he bought like a mike trout reprint or something on ebay not yeah darren one. got him a Holmes one of Here. like a fake auto there it is it looks go real a little higher it? go a little higher yeah it looks real. Problem is, is you can't see it from there, but this card is, an, is a contender and it's supposed to be um, foil on the front. Like it's supposed to be um, like, like uh, uh, supposed to have that foil. It's flat. There's no, there's no, it's, it's, it's printed with this blue that looks foiled to you and me when I bought it. <laughs> um, and then the autograph is fake. It's a real autograph. Well, it's his signature, but it's like printed on. Um, and they even went so far on the back is it's really fake because the autograph is guaranteed. It's like a Panini card. Like they printed all the Panini stuff, which they should not have done. Um, and, and so I've got no less than like a dozen of these examples of stuff that I've fallen for on eBay. Um, but luckily eBay sides with the buyer and, uh, you know, I get my money back, but I also asked to keep the card <laughs> because I want to keep it for the collection. All right, last question. Um, where do we keep our cards? You know, what do we think about the vault services? PWCC has a vault. I know Starstock's got a vault. Um, there are no lack of vaults popping up. Um, or do we keep them at home or, you know, in our safety deposit boxes? Um, you know, how do we do this as we start to, you know, gain high figure cards or large collections? I'm happy to start. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, so for me, it's in a safe is where I keep my cards, but it's kind of a combination of a safe we have at the house and my father-in-law's safe, but, but I always find it's like someone will ask for a picture of one or something like that. And then I realize it's at the father-in-law's house. And so it makes it a challenge, but. Yeah. I worry because I like keeping my cards out. Um, you can't see it, but I have like a, this whole thing is like bookshelves, like bookshelves up here. And I keep, you know, a bunch of cards on the bookshelf like you know i don't know like i don't know i've I got a lot of like fun cards and but i worry that you know in non-covid times there's people in my house um and uh you know they could be in my office and i'm usually traveling and uh you know it's not hard that one of them could take one of these cards or as like you know i, I don't mean this the wrong way but my son's almost a teenager he's got a lot of friends coming to the house in non-covid times some of these cards are legitimate cards and can probably buy their first cars. And, you know, at some point, could one of them take one of the car? I was a kid once. I've heard all the stories. Um, you know, um, you know, could one of them take one of the cards and I would not know it's one of those kids. And all of a sudden he's driving a brand new Toyota Camry off the back of my Mickey Mantle. Um, and so, you know, I worry about that. I, we do have a safe in the house. Um, and I do keep some cards in that safe, uh, uh, but, uh, and I used to keep some cards in a safety deposit box, 
Um, but the funny thing is, is like Com C has a vault or, or, you know, maybe they don't even call it a vault, but I like requesting my cards back from Com C because I like to touch them. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to see them, touch them, see what I have, uh, and then put them in, in non-safe things like big cardboard boxes that are right behind me. Um, and so that's what I do. Anyone used uh, PWCC? WCC. So PWCC has a vault. Um, anyone use their vault? Yeah, I, use, I use it pretty extensively. Uh, for so my personal collection comes here. So I'm a huge Allen Iverson collector. So I love looking at it. Anything I like, like investment. I mean, the biggest benefit is uh, uh, you could bypass sales tax because in Oregon uh, there's no sales tax. So that for me is big because I can. You know, I can get a ship there and you can also then get a ship to your house if you really want a card. Um, plus, I also have like a 15 month year old daughter. So if you look at that cabinet, it's all cards and I had to put like weight to the private so she doesn't open it and just grab things out of there. So I don't really like having really expensive cards in my house. Um, so I'll, I'll store it there. I haven't really used the like the auction feature or the vault yet, um, but it, it's actually been pretty seamless. And then that um, I think alt.com is going to do something similar where it's like a vault and then they can price your collection and then you can trade it with other people. But yeah, it, uh, for me, it's, it's been really easy to use. Um, but the, bypassing a sales tax, uh, I think is huge. What's the number one state with the most Ferraris? Is it Oregon? Florida. It's close to Oregon. It's Montana. Montana. Wow. There's more Ferraris than cows. Wait, yeah. Ferrari per capita or total What's the reason? Ferraris? Not no just why? Ferraris. Any any sports car. Because there's no tax, speed limit. It's the exact same reason as Michael <laughs> just spoke about, which is taxes. Which is why everyone in Silicon Valley is moving to Miami. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're pulling the LeBron to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, has anyone used like PWCC or like any of the other, was it um, to sell cards? I don't know, sell cards. I know I get I get the booklet from PWCC. Um, they have like this cute little booklet that they they send you um, when you buy some cards that come from the vault, um, and they they merchandise you know the the vault, which essentially for for those that are unfamiliar, it's essentially an off an offsite storage facility that they run that you know is secure and you know it's essentially your own like safety deposit box and their own huge card place that you could. I think you're allowed to tour if you keep cards there. I think they kind of show you, you know, what it is. Um, but apparently it's super safe um, and they can do all this logistics for you. So if I, if Michael buys a card of mine and he's a vault member, um, you know, he, the card will literally shift from my, you know, my cubicle to his cubicle in the vault. Um, or if it's not, and it needs to be shipped out of the vault, they handle all of that for you as well. Um, and they also can do like grading services and, you know, they submit it, you know, on your behalf if you want or so on and so forth. Uh, and then they, PWCC, as you, many of you know, they run their own auctions. Um, and, uh, so it's a super fluid way to get into their auctions. Um, uh, so that's, that's their offering. Starstock runs similar. Um, they're up in New Hampshire. Um, Starstock has, you know, their website where you can buy cards, um, and they keep them on facility until you request them to be sent to you. Um, and, uh, you know, for tax reasons in New Hampshire as well. Um, and, uh, Com C is similar as well. 
Um, so they all kind of have similar offerings, not all the same, but similar. I think it's one of those, you know, do you want to see touch feel <laughs> versus, you know, investment? I'm cool with it being somewhere and it's probably safer being somewhere than in my own, you know, home is kind of how I think about it. But I'm still but, a shoebox guy. <laughs> I, yep. I need to grow up. But I no. will say it's a shoe that my friend designed. So it's a special shoebox, but it's still, I'm just sitting here with very expensive cars and a shoebox. Can box. you show the shoebox? I mean, you're looking at it. Like, kind of. Uh, I don't know. It's heavy. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but I also made like little cardboard dividers. Let's this see it. Let's see how Adam Lefko oh, handles his cards in his friend's shoebox. There's a lot. And I put a display up. I don't have anything. Okay. Well, that's right. not that exciting box, Adam. <laughs> I was more yeah, excited about the box. That's his name on it. So. That's a Salehi shoe box. So I went to college with Salehi. Uh, he is now the lead designer for Versace, and he just did collabs with New Balance and um, Anta, which is this company. They're the Chinese company that makes Clay Thompson shoes. So he's he's exploding right now. And uh, they're not the reason he tore his ACL and MCL, are they? No. No, okay. he doesn't design basketball shoes. So if that's it. And I made those cardboard dividers. I'm so proud of it. Look uh, at you. I got a Kareem. I got a, here, I'll show you my, this is my nice vintage guy. I know what your holiday present is from me. But that, <laughs> that is, I love this uh, card so much. David Jacobs still here. That looks familiar. Uh this was the first, this was one of the first cards that I got on eBay where like, it was like, you got it. And I was like, yes, fuck. And I was like, I got to figure out how to pay for that thing. <laughs> I was very excited to get it. Is that a 10? No, it's a seven. Oh, but it's Lou the- Alcindor guys. Come hey on. man, I'm, I'm like all legit. I love, I love the, yeah, the Lou Al ones are, are the best. But like he was, he was one of the main guys that I was like 75th anniversary we're going to be having Jordan, LeBron, and then I get to argue about Kareem. I was like, it's perfect. But um, that's an interesting take you had on the 75 year thing. That it just keeps sticking with me now, man. I know. And when are we really going to compare? Um, all the time. There was a list for the seventh year of the NBA, it was the top players of all time. And so the question is with 75, since I work in media, how many news directors and managing editors are going to look and go, hey, what can we do for 75 years? Okay, let's put together a month long thing of the top 75 players of all time. We're going to do the top five centers. You know what I mean? Like when, when there's historical moments, it's like one of the few times where you're going to have these guys being brought up next to contemporary athletes. Um, and then that's when you hope that a young kid goes, who the fuck is Oscar Robertson? His stats are so much better than Trey Young's. And <laughs> that's when you hope you get a kid to care about the big O. And that content is so viral, right? Anytime you start comparing like Oh, anything yeah. right i mean it's just like it's oh, the also content. think about this i honestly think that's part of the reason why vintage does so much better in the summer months during a normal season when there is no season because that's when radio show hosts and tv hosts have to come up with content and so that's when you start going let's build the ultimate wide receiver whose feet would he have because you're just 
filling time. And that's also why when guys get arrested in the off season, it's such a big deal because there's literally nothing else to talk about. And so it's, I, I used to, I, cause I'm somebody that looks at the media and I've now, I was a, I was a one man band news reporter in Hastings, Nebraska. Then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I was a weekend sports anchor. And You've so you see way. it at every level and you realize that like, there is no grand scheme guy go cards. Hell yeah. Uh, I covered that national championship team that actually counted Peyton Siva. Um, but you realize there's not a grand scheme. It's just a lot of people that just want to go home. And so when they're thinking of show ideas, they're like, who, who's your all time uh, starting five. So I don't know. I just, so, I so I'm going to call an audible. We're going to end in four minutes on the 10 o'clock hour for East coasters but I'm going to put Adam Lefko on the spot. So for those, this was not planned for all of you guys um, at all. So this, Adam, feel free not to play. So for those that are unfamiliar, at, we are lucky to have Adam with us tonight. Adam uh, does NBA on TNT, as well as many, many other uh, uh, media. If you guys are on Barstool or any of the other sports sites, Adam's kind of the lead guy. He's also got his own podcast. He's got a lot of stuff. Um, and on so, Saturday, oh, we have the Surface Trade Show, which Darren put a link in the email, and it's going to be me hosting five panels, including what are the most undervalued athletes in the hobby? How will sports funds impact the hobby? Uh, just a number of conversations. I know I'm going to have Jay Williams there from ESPN that's going to be prospecting all these rookies, because I think for a lot of us right now, if it's this Saturday, the NBA starts in a week. So yep. I don't know these guys. So just conversations like that. And the link is a free link. Uh, so uh, there are tickets, but for you guys, it'll be a free link. And it's going to be super awesome. And after that, at four o'clock, I'll be doing a loop auction for Toys for Tots and a whole bunch of repack. But let's stop that. So Adam, what is the top topic that you guys are talking about other than the 75th anniversary going into this NBA season? I was texting with Ernie yesterday and we were talking about how not how all of us are on a first name basis with Ernie, how many <laughs> yeah. stoppages are there going to be? That's, that's what we don't know. I think everyone right now is sort of thinking of the NBA in terms of the bubble. I was talking to another guy about this today and everyone's like, Oh yeah, they're just going to go play in LA for eight games. And they're going to go to like Utah for eight games. And I'm sitting there going, part of the reason why I think the Lakers were so successful is you have all these guys. They had the most distracted team ever in a place where you couldn't get distracted. Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, uh, gummy <laughs> waiters, Dion waiters and J.R. Smith. And they were all super focused because they couldn't leave. And so my thing is James Harden has literally been at a strip. Is club he in Vegas all week? Is he in uh, Vegas? According to his Instagram. Yeah. And so one, he's probably not the only one. Like that's how, like, like, yes, it's a, it's it, but he's not the only one. Um, and I think that people forget, like everyone's like Sekou Dumbuya is 19. I'm like, Sekou Dumbuya is 19. Like he might go to a restaurant and forget just like, uh, uh, what was it? Rashawn Holmes went off the, the bubble and got wings. So that's one <laughs> thing that we're definitely talking about. Uh, I feel like LeBron, we're already baking in his fifth championship. Like, I feel like that's, I mean, the, the Lakers are getting the treatment that the Clippers got last year uh, in terms of everyone's like, oh, they're the favorite. Um, Is there talk then, of the Lakers being super tired? 
I think that the main talk is the reason you get Montrezl Harrell and uh, the point guard from Oklahoma State, who's Dennis Schroeder, is these are literally bench all-stars. And so if you want LeBron to take a month off, you let Montrezl Harrell play 27 minutes for the first month and a half because he's got the energy and you're not going to really need that later. Um, and so uh, there, there are some teams that are planning for how to rest their players. Uh, I'm curious in the card market, the the big stars, the only ones that didn't dip were the ones we didn't see. Trey Young didn't dip. Bradley Beal didn't dip. Steph Curry didn't dip. Clay Thompson dipped because of his injury. Um, and so Kevin Durant didn't dip. My question is, when we see them, do they match our expectations of what we still think they are? Because when you haven't seen Kevin Durant in two years, I think everyone's coming back and expecting him to hit that game-winning shot over LeBron every game. And I'm like, what if the Nets start slow? Because, you know, it's what, when, when has the last super team kicked ass in year one? I, I don't know. The Browns sucked in their first year. The Bucks are not great right now. The Clippers were not good. The Heat did not win at all in their first year. Uh, I mean, other than the Warriors, they're like the one team. But um, I just, I'm, I'm just fascinated with the market of those guys. Or what about the regional games not being on too? It was Sinclair Network fighting with DirecTV and YouTube TV and all those guys. The local Sportsnet games aren't going to get any coverage. The um, only thing I'd say is that I've heard Adam Silver comment so much about, he always brings up YouTube views of game clips. And I think, I think there is definitely a difference in how we are watching games. Like I know a lot of kids that just watch the 10 minute compressed game film and when you go on YouTube on the NBA channel and you realize that there are more people watching the YouTube clips than they are the game, like those clips have millions of views. And I think uh, the YouTube, the NBA accounts got a lot better at being like, here's every basket Trey Young made. Here's every. So I don't think we're really missing anything. Um, I, I it's I definitely think like that's how I felt for soccer when I saw that the Champions League final was on cbssports.com. I was like, well, I mean, that's, that's not big enough for, for, for this market here. But um, I would just say the YouTube clips are interesting. I don't feel like the NBA crowd misses a lot. Whereas the NFL, it's like, you know, we talk about um, the same three or four teams every week, like it's Kansas city or bust, but um, yeah, the TV deals are interesting. So what's going to happen with the fans? So I read that some, it's up to the stadium and the market to right. allow fans in. What was good about the bubble is they, I mean, seemed to, you know, the screens allowed at least some tightness around the court. It didn't feel like, you know, this m m huge room that the players yeah. are just playing in. When the ball bounces, you know, there's, you know, echoes. Um, but, you know, in the Boston, the TD Garden here in Boston, no fans, mm. that could feel very lonely and weird for the players. Um, you know, well, I was listening to LeBron on a podcast today with Richard Jefferson, and he was saying that he was talking to his wife and his mom and they were like, it was really good TV. And he was like, there is no energy there. He said, you come out and all it was was sneakers and, and dribbling and you really don't have a firm grasp at home. So, but I do think it'll be a lot more cavernous. Yes. Uh, like you're saying when there's 20,000 empty seats and it's not blacked out with huge screens and, and fake crowds in there. Um, it is interesting because these owners are, they're trying to cash in. I just don't know how you're making extra money, having it in empty arenas. 
I don't know where you know, you're not getting parked. I don't know what you're getting by doing that, but yeah. Um, and clearly the bars are not open around the arena, you know, for after, you know, activities or before. And so the, the food market around it is, you know, quiet. Yeah. I, all the signs that I have heard were, they are trying to get this season going in this time span so that with their estimation, with the vaccines and with everything healing up, that they can start next year's season on time. And I, it sounds like they've kind of set their books to go, hey, we're taking our losses and this is unforeseen, but we should be able to get back to a normal schedule for the 2022 season. And then we can start planning for that. Also realize that 2024 is when the media rights are up. Um, and so, uh, that's TNT, that's ESPN, that's everybody. Um, uh, the head of the Clippers, Steve Ballmer has really made it his mission to go, how do we not do this in house? Uh, how do we not own all of this? So, um, the problem with, with doing it in house is you don't get a 500 or a $5 billion check from a media company. Uh, letting you broadcast their games, but you own all of it. So you could do all the ad sales. Um, this is the one thing that I found interesting. If you want to get super media nerdy, cause I do like to get media nerdy. Uh, my friend Taylor Rooks wrote an article for GQ and it was a lot of anecdotes and good stories, but there was one paragraph from Mark Cuban that caught my attention where now that I've gotten into understand business through people like Darren, and I didn't pay attention to this shit before, I realized that people don't just say things, they're trying to move markets very subtly. And so what he said was, he said the words on cable four times in one paragraph. And he said, I didn't realize until LeBron James said that his family couldn't watch games on cable, that I realized it was a big issue if the games were on cable. And so what my issue is, is if these games were on cable, families and people like LeBron's neighborhood couldn't watch games on cable. And I'm like, what? You, like, this is also the guy that started what broadcast.com yeah. and was like, let's, let's end television. So I don't know how that shifts the NBA. If there's a league that's ready to move into the digital age, it's a hundred percent them. Um, I know Amazon is getting NFL games on they're getting one on 1226 that's exclusively them i think it's arizona san francisco um but i'm just i'm curious with with the whole world the nba world and that ecosystem of money how all of those things will, will impact the league in the next two three years anyone want to give a question adam before we head out i don't know if that was informative i just had a lot of cabernet sauvignon so we're, we're letting it loose tonight <laughs> So wait, what's the, when's the, uh, now maybe I'm being an idiot. When's the, uh, when's the event? Oh, so it's yeah. this Saturday. So it's going to be from about 12 to six Ohio state, Michigan just got canceled. You have nothing better to watch. Uh, uh, from four to six is my loop broadcast for toys for tots. So yeah, when you go is to your Adam's panel? thing from 12 to four, and then you go to my loop broadcast from four to six. All right, guys. Um, now I gotta, now I gotta replan my damn Saturday. All right. Um, <laughs> It'll be fun. And, it's going to uh, be like a virtual trade show. So I'll be on the main stage and it'll be a lot like zoom. And then there'll be a lot of like, like you can comment and stuff and I'll, I'll read some questions from the audience. And then there's going to be other rooms where breakers and vendors and stuff are going to set up and like, they're going to be holding breaks. And so it's, it's, it was my friend's idea. And I was like, sure, I'll host. Um, but it, it could be a cool event. 
It's going to be a question from a media perspective. When, when do like preseason storylines get abandoned? Right. So Mm. when does it shift from, Holy cow, the Suns could be a top four team in the West to, Oh shit. What happened with the Suns? Okay. So this is what I call my Sacramento Kings theory. For some reason, I feel like the Kings always start like seven and one. And there's always some article that's like, you know, if they can sustain this, I think that, I think that the, the preseason storylines end right when the games start. I think then it turns into like overreaction central for like the next two, three weeks, even though we all know that it's not sustainable and, and all that. Um, and then I feel like there's, um, I feel like all-star voting starts pretty soon. And I feel like when that starts like a month or two in is when people start really looking at the numbers and they have more of a, of a data set to work with. Um, but yeah, it's the Suns. Like they're a perfect example of they are a hundred percent the it team. And I was fascinated at how like Booker's numbers went up and Aiton's prices went up. And I was like, Chris Paul's are kind of staying the same, even though he's the one coming in. Um, but uh, I was talking with, uh, I think it was Drake. What was his the guy's name? I'm sorry, Darren. Drake was here. Yeah, Drake. Drake Magruder. Yep. And we were talking about like. Uh, selling at the peak and I'm, I'm, I learned my lesson the hard way, which was I had, I got Damon Lillard at 600 and then he dropped 61 and it went up to 3000. And I was like, Ooh, if he breaks the lake, if he beats the Lakers, I'm going to make a lot of money. I got real greedy. So I don't get greedy anymore on that. But I, that's how I feel about teams like the Suns, where I'm like, I would probably realize some profit right now by having the it team of the summer. Like I, like I did that with Cam Newton. Like I got Cam Newton and then he got to the, and then people were like, you know, this could be a team. And I was like, I'm just going to realize this profit now. Um, but yeah, this, this season a, long will be interesting. There's another investment saying. So the second investment saying of the night is sell the news. So mm-hmm. when you have proprietary information, you have it. But yeah. the minute it makes headline anywhere, assume everybody in the world has it. And so, you know, an investment uh, uh, advice is sell the news. You think James Harden prices would go up if he got traded to the Nets? Yeah, right. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I have no information about that. I promise. I would break that. (laughs) You would break it here on this Zoom. Yeah, I would. I'd be like, this is more beneficial. Place to break. Yeah. I had a I had a talk with Warren Sharp, who is a he's amazing. Uh, he works with NFL teams. He, we did a podcast together. He's, he's the smartest guy in sports betting. And we had a long talk this off season where I said, Darren Darren Ravel would love to get Darren Ravel would write an article on Warren Sharp. That's how good Warren Sharp is. Warren Sharp is he's a nut job. Um, But I was like, you have people like they pay for your picks and all that stuff. But have you ever wondered, like, do you really want to give out all the information? Like, have you ever just wanted to keep it to yourself? And that's like the dilemma of being, of being a content person. And like, Darren, you're going to experience this. Like you have these conversations with these real trendsetters that give you information, but in the back of your head, you're like, I need to entertain an audience. I need to give them something good. But the investor part of you is like, keep this to yourself. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic that I'm excited to see Darren deal with over the next few months. Because he's going to want to give hot takes. I know he is. I do. Yeah. Uh, what's the prognosis for the football season? I keep hearing people say about playoff bubbles, 
but doesn't it really feel like the NFL is just going like, we haven't canceled the game yet. So like, yeah, they're like, eh, we're okay. Um, We got bye weeks coming up. It is interesting that any team that goes on a bye week has a COVID a few outbursts uh, when you, these guys get some time to themselves, but um, yeah, I I think the NFL is just like, I can't believe we, they, they, their mantra from the very beginning is we're fuck it. You know, we're just going to keep going. I know you're tight with a bunch of players. Like, are they worried? I was talking, um, or you asked for this name drop. I was talking to Mahomes about, because his wife is pregnant and or his fiance is pregnant and remember when stefan gilmore was COVID 19 and there was a video of him dapping up stefan gilmore and i was like bro what is going on he slept in a different room than his wife he literally they were like we're gonna wait this out 14 days but until you realize that professional athletes are not human And what I mean is I'm not saying that I'm trying to be inhuman. I'm trying to say like their level of discipline to their, to their craft is at another level where the execution is so high. The smart ones that can afford it just took all the necessary precautions. Like the really good NBA players, they, they just said, no, we're just going to build all the facilities. And, and, and I think that a lot of these athletes enjoy being by themselves. So that was like LeBron's gym that he built by himself yeah yeah but uh, and and i think also these athletes don't want to do venture capitalist meetings and they don't want to go and do these advertisements um they're like wait wait, i'll do a zoom and i'll get paid 10 grand but i would normally get 25 i'll take the 10 grand i don't want to go and i it's i think that's the thing too is that these these guys are kind of enjoying being alone and just saying this is all i'm going to do right now but um, the fear it's a lot of NFL players will always tell you, cause they used to have to answer these questions for concussions. I'm putting myself at risk knowing it and I'm okay with it. And it's, it's sort of that warrior mentality that they have adopted. Um, and it's interesting how I saw them use that line when we would talk about concussions and now they use that line for COVID. Uh, and it's a little bit short sighted and naive, but at the same time, it's, you know, they are putting their lives on the line, but uh, yeah, they, they're always cool with it. They don't really care. All right. Saturday, you've got Adams surface trading conference. I will be there. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, Darren's going to talk about the impact of sports funds. You send that link out again? Yeah, Mike, I'll send that link out um, by tonight or first thing tomorrow morning. So everyone can sign up and get access to Adam's amazing. Thanks discount. for welcoming me, guys. That was fun. That was Adam, awesome. I should have I should have uh, presented your your signed card as my show and tell earlier. I thought it was you. Sorry about I that. I thought it was you. <laughs> but you got thirty four, right? What's uh? I, I I'm sorry. I don't know the number off the top. Oh, you should. <laughs> I got them all written down. I'm excited. Having my own card is great. I just sent one to PSA. I'm very excited. But I had to call up somebody at PSA because I was like, I don't know how to enter this. And they were like, just they're like, we'll figure it out. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> if well, he comes back in eight, I'm gonna be so pissed. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. It's 10:15. We spent a bunch of time together. I appreciate that. And uh, you know, we get together monthly. Uh, so next time we get together is 2021. Um, and so 
between now and then have an amazing holiday with your families and your loved ones and be safe. Most important. And, uh, you know, between now and then, you know, we're always around and keep up the hobby and we'll chat early in the new year. So thanks everyone for coming out tonight. Truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Darren. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Cheers. There you have it. That was a fun community chat with the Midlife Crisis Cards community. I welcome any and all of you to join the community. Head over. The easiest way to do it is head over to Instagram, find Midlife Crisis Cards, go to the uh, detail on the profile, click the link, and just sign up for the Midlife Crisis Cards community. Otherwise, just DM me, uh, and I will respond and and send you the link to the uh, Google form to fill out. It's free. It's fun. We meet once a month, and as you can see, we cover lots of fun topics and sometimes have some fun guests. Until next time, happy holidays, and we'll see you soon.